you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 as you're doing so. Justin mentioned earlier that we have these tickets for Hope for the Heart of Georgia. Now we're mentioning this today and next Sunday and then it's here. So we've only got these two days. We have 250 tickets. This color is for Friday night and this color is for Saturday night. The Friday night has a youth emphasis but anyone's invited that wants to come. And the fire marshal is going to monitor the attendance, which looks now like will be at capacity uh, at, at the Coliseum. Uh, so you need a ticket to get in. So they're right over here. And we want you to take two, one for yourself and one for the person you plan to invite. It's an evangelistic meeting, uh, both, both meetings on Friday night and Saturday. But so that's why we're saying this today and then next Sunday. And then the event will take place the, the weekend after that. Philippians chapter 2, you know, we thought uh, with the time change, it might kind of balance out the attendance. There are more people that come to this service than come to the second service, but I don't know that there's going to be much balancing happening. Y'all awake out there? I don't know. When Justin said, let's bow our heads for prayer, I was thinking, yeah, you close your eyes. I'm not closing mine. They might not come back open. Yeah, so uh, I was staring at the floor, but it, uh, as, we, as we prayed... Um, we did that. So in Philippians chapter 2, this is our third time to be looking at uh, verses 12 through um, 18 uh, of this passage. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Hear God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but it's much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I, might, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We've been studying Philippians. You remember it's written from... Paul's imprisonment, it's been 10 years since he went there and led people to Christ and he and Timothy and Silas did so as missionaries and now there's a church in this Roman city that was very proud of its, it was a Roman city state so they, they lived like they were in Rome, they lived like Roman citizens for they were. Chapter 1 focused on how he gave thanks and prayed for them. He went into detail about that and how his imprisonment was actually serving to advance the gospel. Even the whole imperial guard had heard the gospel because of what was happening to him. Chapter 2, we began by looking uh, in verse 1 and following about how there's to be unity in the, in the church. And because God's given us these resources of love and encouragement and participation with Christ. And then he tells us that the, the only way to have true unity is that if we look out not for our own selves, but also for the interest of others. And the prime example of that was the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who chose to become a man, not just any man, but a servant. And then he died a terrible death was buried, resurrected, and now is at the place of honor, the right hand of the Father. And because of his example, now we are to follow that 
and we saw last week in chapter, uh, verses 12, chapter 2, hey, look, it's just good that I'm standing up here, much less speaking. We saw that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and what that, that meant and what it didn't mean. So it's to be worked out. Uh, not we don't work for our salvation. We don't work toward our salvation. We don't work at our salvation. We work it out. You can only work out what God has already put in. So in summary, this teaches because you are already in Christ, because you are already saved, because God has entered your life in the person of the Holy Spirit, because you now have this power within you that you did not have before, because of these things, now you can strive to express this through your conduct. We are to do that through our whole life. But as we do so, we, we saw also that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He gives us the will to obey him. He works in us. He's the one that brings change even as we uh, seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and he does it according to good, his good pleasure. God is at work because he wants to do so in your life. It delights God to delight his people. And now we see how we are to live in relationship to the culture. So the first part of the chapter is dealing with how we're to live in unity with one another as believers in, in a local church and as part of the body of Christ. Now it's talking about how do we relate to the culture. Do you find it kind of difficult, even in recent years, to think how, as a Christian, do I relate to the culture? We can't escape it like some have tried to do. We could all go off and live in, in monasteries or, or some kind of place like that, high in the mountains alone, say I'm trying to escape the influence of the world. Well, God doesn't really give us that option. We're to be engaged in the world. As we do so, we're to do all things first without grumbling or disputing. Now, this is relating to attitude. It's not just what we do, but the spirit in which we do it. So the first way we are to relate to the culture around us is in the area of grumbling or disputing. Seems like uh, that would be a low priority, right? No, this is a high priority. I'm going to tell you why. Grumbling is mentioned many times in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable. And it's the parable about this person who is a manager of a vineyard. It must be a large vineyard, so it's time to, uh, to work in the vineyard. So at dawn, he goes and he hires some laborers. And he said, come and, and work for me. So he gets them started, but he's seeing that they're not going to be able to finish. So three hours later, he goes back, hires more laborers, Three hours later, he goes back, hires more laborers. Now it's getting into the afternoon. Then late in the day, two hours later, he goes back and he hires more. And the whole day is finished with these, this large team of workers that all were hired at different times. So when they come to get their payment at the end of the day, he gives the first group that was hired uh, last one denarius. A day's labor, that was a coin for, for a day's work. Then he gives the second group that came in the, in the late afternoon, he gives them one denarius all the way back down to the very beginning group that he hired at dawn, one denarius. And it says there in Matthew chapter 20 that they began to grumble. 
And they grumbled this last group and said, wait, we worked all day. And he, he says, wait, did you not agree to work for one denarius? Uh, if I choose to be generous with them, what is that to you? So they were, they were grumbling as to, as to the landowner who is God in the parable. That we grumble and God has the right to do what he wants to do. Another example is in Luke chapter 5. It says, And Levi, that's Matthew, made him a great feast in his house for Jesus, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. Matthew is a tax collector, was very wealthy. He had, he had a, a large house, and all these people are gathered there for a meal that he's providing for Jesus. And the Pharisees and their scribes, the religious lawyers of the day, grumbled. There's the word again. They grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? The Old Testament people of Israel were always murmuring. They were always grumbling. They were always complaining during, during the years of wandering in the wilderness. That 40 years when they were in Egypt, they were grumbling because they wanted to be out of Egypt. When they got out of Egypt, they were grumbling that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Then they murmured because they didn't have anything to eat, so God provided manna, which was a wafer, bread-like substance. And they had food, but they said, we don't have any meat. We don't want this manna. We want something more. So God provided that. When they got to the promised land, they were murmuring. Oh, we'll be killed if we, if we go in there. They said earlier, and now they get there. And don't we do the same? Throughout the Bible, God takes the lessons shown by the Israelites going from Egypt to the promised land, and he applies those to Christians on our way to heaven, to the new heavens and the new earth. And we're, we're very similar. Oh, I have, I have brown hair. I wish I had blonde hair. I'm short, and I wish I was tall. I'm tall. I wish I was short. I'm, I'm, uh, I have blue eyes, but I wish I had brown eyes. Oh, I'm in this school, but I wish I was in that school. Or I'm on this team, but I wish I was on that other team. I'm single, but I wish I was married. I'm married, but I wish I was single. Uh, uh, we don't have any children. I wish I had children. Well, we got a child, but I, you know, I don't really like this guy. I mean, he doesn't like me, and he doesn't, he doesn't live up to the, to the standards I, I want to see. He doesn't represent me well. Or, or why, why do they act this way? Why are these teenagers they're like they're from another planet or something like that or like that? Or why didn't my husband or why didn't my wife or why, and why didn't the pastor and oh that church? And uh, you know, my, my child grew up and left the Lord. It's the youth director's fault. No, no, it was, it was the Sunday school teacher's fault. Couldn't it be my fault? It, don't we do it? And you know what murmur is? It's an onomatopoeia. English teachers remember that? That's where the word sounds like the the meaning, the buzz of a saw, the hiss of the, of the air hose, the, uh, well, you get it, the moo of the cow. Uh, the, I, I can't pronounce a Greek word, but apparently in the original language, like our English word murmur, it's like that. What did you say? No, no, nothing, nothing. That's, that's the idea. So we may not say it out loud, but the very idea may be, Lord, I just really don't like the cards you've dealt me. I just, I won't say it to anybody else and I'll make sure they don't see it, but I, I just, I don't like this life. I wish I had a different life. 
I wish things were going differently. This is the very area, if you can relate to that at all, this is where the Apostle Paul says, this is where you begin to relate to the culture with how you view the life God has given to you. So our grumbling, actually, it's not at Moses. It's not at the cult. It's at God. Ultimately, it's at God. Maybe a lack of gratitude, maybe bitterness. So the result of not grumbling, it says in verse 15, if you go back to that, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in a crooked and twisted generation. So this is how we live out our faith in this generation. The description here in verse 15 of blameless children and a crooked and perverse twisted generation comes from the Song of Moses. Sometime you might want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And this is at the end of Moses' life. Already God has said Joshua is going to lead his people into the promised land. So Moses, for almost two chapters, has this long psalm. And in that song, he tells God's people what's going to happen in the future. And when he says crooked and twisted generation... We hear that and say, boy, our generation's crooked and twisted, isn't it? Nobody knows who they are. Look at all the evil. Look at all that. You know who he's applying it to? God's people. In Deuteronomy 32, that phrase is used for the people of God. That they are going to fall away. That they are going to pursue other idols. And now here Paul uses it for the culture at large. They have dealt corruptly with him. This is what Moses said. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So Moses used that description of what was going to happen to God's people when they fell away. Paul's using it for his day, and we can definitely use it for our day. When I was a campus minister at the University of Arkansas, I remember going to speak at a small church. I think it was... I don't remember where it was. It seemed like it was in Fort Smith, Arkansas. It was not a large, large area, but I went. And before I was to speak at this missions conference to tell, give a report on the campus ministry, uh, an older man, uh, I saw him in the hallway and we were talking. He said, so you're up there in Fayetteville, Arkansas at the university? I said, yes, I am. And he said, that's a den of iniquity. It's a den, a den of iniquity. And I thought, well... Everywhere I go is a den of iniquity. Everywhere we live is a den of iniquity. And if we glamorize thinking, well, um, everything's pure over here and everything's evil over here, we, we're probably just ignorant of what things are really like over here. And yes, every college campus probably has everything Satan has to offer, just as every city has everything Satan has to offer. So we are to... We are to be, live out our faith in a, in a crooked and twisted generation. How did it get this way? When I was younger, I first learned to drive. Cars at that time almost were all built on a frame. It was a flat frame. Now there's all sorts of unibody construction for automobiles. Things have changed a lot. At that time, it was just a frame and then all the rest of the Everything else was added, the body, the upholstery, the interior, the engine was added to the structural support. Well, if that frame, if that car was in an accident, 
I realize for two Sundays in a row now I'm talking about car wrecks. Remember last week about the dangerous roads? Sorry. It just, it just occurred to me. In my, if that car was hit and the frame was bent, they totaled the car. They said it cannot be repaired. They've got machines that can repair them now because it threw it off. Well, when did our, just as a twisted frame, when did our generation become twisted? In Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they broke his law by eating of the forbidden fruit. And God had warned them, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, he didn't mean physical death because after they did it, they lived for years and years. They had children and so forth, but they died spiritually that very moment. So immediately there was guilt, there was shame between one another toward God. They hid from him. That communication they had had with God was now broken. And we, the Bible says, start off where they ended up. In Ephesians 1, it says we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. So we are born without that spiritual sense that they had. That's where it began. And it raises its head in, in different ways. God has called us to live out our faith in the culture. And he says, note, the expressions would be called blameless. It means above criticism. Innocent, it means pure and not mixed. It was used of metals, uh, whether the metal was pure or not. Before 1965, most coins minted in the U.S. were mostly silver. In fact, if you had a, a nickel or a quarter or a dime from pre-1965, it's 90% silver and 10% copper. And then all of that changed. And so the word pure means that it's a pure metal. So when the culture looks at you or me, we should be blameless or pure. Not perfect, not sinless, but not duplicitous where the person says, that guy's just a hypocrite. He's stealing or he's a liar or she she's never keeps her word or she will stab you in the back or anything like that. That's what he's talking about. Again, it's not perfection. None of us are perfect. So if you're like that, you will stand out. And one of the examples we have in the Bible is Daniel. Daniel lived in the midst of an ungodly world. Uh, the Babylon of his day was as ungodly a place as you can imagine. But Daniel lived in Babylon, and he lived for God in the very midst of it. He did not live off in a corner somewhere, hiding out. No, he lived in the king's palace. He worked for the king. When his enemies in Babylon tried to frame him and to do away with him, the only thing they could do to find fault with him was that he worshipped Jehovah. So they said, we'll deal with this. So they got a law passed by the king that would require execution of anyone who called on any other god other than the king to meet their needs. Well, it didn't stop Daniel. Daniel continued to pray. He became a violator of the law. As a result of that, King Darius, who did not want to, had, to, had him thrown to the lions. God delivered Daniel. 
but not before Daniel had these words spoken about him by his enemies. They said, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel except that we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel lived without blame before even his enemies and we are to be blameless. That's what Paul is saying and it starts with our attitudes, with whether we're grumbling and complaining. And the result of all this is we will shine as lights in the world. And we are holding fast the word of life. I'm out of time. So let me jump ahead just to the uh, last verse where Paul says that the last two verses, I'm, I'm proud I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I will be glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. A drink offering, we have those mentioned numerous times in the Bible. It has to do with the sacrifices that were done. So here was an animal sacrificed on an altar. And the sacrifice, <coughs> sacrificial animal would be burned. The body would be burned after it was dead. And then a final offering that would be offered to complete the larger sacrifice was a glass of wine, a cup of wine, <laughs> sorry. Uh, a, a cup of wine would be taken and on that roasting meat would be poured out and of course it would whoosh, it would uh, it would be vaporized when it would hit that hot meat and that was called a drink offering, a pleasant aroma to God well here's Paul in prison not knowing if, if he's going to be executed or released and he said that I am even if I am poured out as a drink offering if nothing, if, if my life is nothing more than just a pleasing aroma to God, and that's it, then I'll rejoice in that. And he's thinking of the day of Christ Jesus. Do you want to leave a legacy? People like legacies to have your name on something, maybe on a, um, some, some form of construction, a building, a, uh, um, a place, an event, an annual conference, or a fund of some sort that would ha have your name, something that you think, hey, or the family thought, hey, a century from now, or, or, or two centuries, or five centuries, or, or a, a bust of yourself, or, or a statue, or a legacy of uh, an endowment of something. Uh, none of those are bad in and of themselves, but you want to know a legacy that will really last to affect other lives for eternity. What will matter 10,000 years from now? Uh, I've said it before that for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, uh, we will live our lives, we will die, there'll be some people at our funeral and most of our great-grandchildren will not know our names. Now I say that because I, I want you to live for something that will matter 10,000 years from now. And for Paul, it was the ministry he had in those people's lives that he had affected their lives for eternity and he had not run in vain. He had not labored in vain, so he says. Let's pray together. Father, it is your word of life, the gospel, that brings us to you. Your Holy Spirit uses that to transform our hearts. We pray that we would live for those things that will matter in eternity. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.